Thanks, gang. Yeah. All right, and we are in a series on prayer, and uh, we are moving our way through prayers of the Bible to uh, learn uh, what God has to say to us about how to walk intimately with Him in this great gift called prayer. And uh, I, today we're in, we're in 1 Kings 3. This is a remarkable and, and packed prayer from King Solomon as he was about to become king over Israel. Uh, he was 20 years old about when he prayed this prayer. Imagine that being king of a great nation at that age. Um, and this is his prayer in 1 Kings 3, 6-9 that he prays as he's about to become king. I think there's lots here for us to to see, enjoy, and grow from today. So I'll read verse 6 to 9. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. And who is able to govern this, your great people? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we love your word. It's light to our path, God. It's, it's the means by which we hear about you. We would not have found Jesus without your word speaking to us of him. We wouldn't know of your great love and your care and your concern and your majesty, your holiness, your purity. Not your word telling us, Father. So. We come now as, as hearers to listen and to, to respond and to love you. God, teach us this day by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is a prayer that God happily answers. Right? Don't we want to pray that way? Don't we want to pray in ways that when we pray, we see God answer? He comes through, he shows his strength, right? Too often we pray and we don't seem to get the answers we want. Creates struggles in our soul, doesn't it? Um, And God wants us to learn how to walk with him and how to walk intimately with him and understand prayer so that we can pray and and grow in our the power of our prayers and seeing God answer in greater ways than we have even these days. And so this has a lot to say to us. This, this is a prayer that God happily and powerfully answers. What does that prayer look like? And there's three parts to it I think we want to look at this morning. And these are keys to seeing God powerfully answer. One is the right relationship. One is the right attitude. And finally, the right request. So let's look at those three things this morning. First of all, the right relationship. Verse 6, it says... And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. Okay, so here's a relationship that Solomon starts with about his father, actually. 
And it speaks of two really important things. One is God's steadfast love, that God loves us, and he loves us unconditionally, and he stays with us in and through all of life. And yet to be people that are intimate with God and to be people who pray to God in a way that actually we are received by God, there is a side to us that we have to walk in, and that is to be faithful and upright and righteous in our hearts toward him. You see that? This covenant relationship where we're talking about here involves two very important pieces. One is a deep, intimate, personal love relationship with God where God just gives his steadfast love to us and we respond in love. And two is this very legally binding part of relationship where God says, you know, I'm a holy God and you've got to obey me and you've got to be righteous and upright in heart for me to hear you. It's the two parts to this relationship, right? And the first part, we like and makes sense to us. God just loves us with a steadfast love. That's amazing and beautiful. But this part where we have to be righteous and holy and upright in heart is troubling, isn't it? Because we all, we know we fall short. And of course, this little section of Scripture, and as God talks about his covenant relationship with us, he's always pointing us to the gospel. He's pointing us to what is ahead, that there would be, because of his great love, his steadfast love, a Savior that would come and die for our sins. He would live a perfect life, a holy life, die and rise again. And that when we put our faith in him, that part that's required of us to come into his presence of holiness and righteousness is fulfilled in Jesus. When we receive him, we become what the Bible calls 90 times in the New Testament, in Christ, and we stand in his righteousness. And so... That legal binding part is fulfilled in him and God then just continues his steadfast love as we stand positionally in Christ, holy and acceptable to him. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name, by the way. We're praying in Jesus. Praying in his righteousness and in his holiness and who he is. And so we come in this relationship to God fulfilled in this covenant that the, the part that is conditional, Jesus fulfills and the part that's unconditional, God just carries us through unconditionally from now until all eternity. And that's the relationship that's here, that's pictured. And so as we come to the New Testament, the Bible speaks to us of, of prayer. And it reminds us that, first of all, we are praying to this same great God of the Old Testament. This God who parted the Red Sea. This God who created the world. This God who established this nation Israel and took them into the land and gave them a land. This God who came and died for our sins and rose again. That is the same God that we pray to today. Oh my gosh, right? That hit you? That's him. That's who we're talking to. That's who we're talking about today. He's here. This God. And he loves us. And he's declared us righteousness, righteous in Christ. And we come boldly to the throne in and through his son today if we have put our personal faith in him. And so the words of the New Testament come to us as he talks to us about prayer and says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you in Matthew chapter 7. That God is a God who is in this intimate relationship with us. That now He becomes our Father through Christ. And it says we call on Him. And when we call on Him, He answers. And that's the promise of Scripture. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. That's the heart of our amazing good God. To answer everything we say to Him. And yet we, we scratch our heads because sometimes we ask and like, 
Then see the answer, right? That's our problem. That's the struggle we have, isn't it, as Christian people? And I want us to see, though, in this text that the, the general tone, the overarching tone is God is a, is a Father, is that He will and wants to and longs to answer our prayer. He says in Matthew seven eleven, If you then who are evil... Speaking of us, you know, we're, we are a broken people. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? It's our God that we're in this covenant relationship with. Now, now, now why doesn't He just answer every prayer? I mean, and, and why does He say, ask and you shall receive? Right? Because sometimes He doesn't seem to come through, right? Well, can you imagine if in that space in Matthew chapter 7, he says, ask and you receive, right? And then here's all the lists of things when I won't answer, right? It would be a little bit like saying to our children, which we should say often, you know, we love you. We love what you're becoming. In fact, it's a, you're becoming an amazing young man, amazing young woman. What a way to go. And we say that and we should say that. And we're proud of you, right? We should say that to our kids regularly. But what if every time we said that, we said, well, except, right, when you kick your brother, and except when you, like, uh, don't feed the, forget to feed the dog, and except when you drag mud in the house and make the mess of the whole house, and except when you don't clean your room and you haven't done your chore, right? What if we just gave that list every time we said you're amazing? See the problem with that? I mean, it would like, don't tell me this. And that's our God. He wants to know that, that his general great heart to us is that he loves us and he longs to answer. And yes, there are some times when it's best to say no, right? Or there are reasons to say no. If you harbor sin in your heart, Psalm 66, the Lord will not hear you. First John 5.14, you need to pray according to my will, my good and perfect will, right? God knows best. Right, But to remind ourselves one more time, even when you hear no's, this, this, this daddy in heaven wants to say, and in general wants to say, and will say, yes. But there are times when wisely he says no. I, I have this one prayer. I, I, I pray a lot. Um, in the morning especially. And I keep track of my prayers as I've shared with you and uh, just to kind of see where God's working and how he's moving. But there's one prayer request I've been praying for years. shows up every day, every day. And it's painful that God hasn't answered it. I'm upset with God, frankly, a little bit about this. It's going on for years. And so what should I do, right? What do I do? And here's what I do. I remind myself that my daddy in heaven wants to answer that prayer. Yes, he wants to answer it well, but he's delaying for whatever reason. So what do I do? I keep praying it. I keep praying it. Because he says in Luke 18, right, this persistent widow that was so annoying, right, knock, knock, God, help, help, help. And he says, if you keep calling out long enough, I'll answer, I'll answer. I love you. I care about you. Don't give up, right? This is why I keep praying because it gives me hope, right? If I stopped praying, I'd lose hope and lose my dependence on God, see? So I keep calling out to him knowing by faith he's a daddy in heaven that wants to say yes. But 
He needs to hold back, like all of us parents do sometimes, right? Our wise God. So that's the relationship. It's a relationship of love where he has made us acceptable before him that we come into his, his presence as children of a heavenly father who loves us and accepts us. Now there's a right attitude also that shows up in this text. That's verse 7 and 8. It says, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child, and I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered and counted for multitude. So here's Solomon. He's coming at age 20 and he's, and he's praying. And he's been given kingship over Israel. And he says, I am but like a little child. I love this prayer. I heard this prayer preached uh, when I was just new in ministry. And I heard this pastor, who was a much older man than me at that time, say, I am just but like a little child. I don't have what it takes to lead your people, God. And that has been how I have felt. And I think every pastor that lives before God feels. I don't, I don't have what it takes to lead your people well. I feel like a little child. I feel so immature. I don't even know how to go out and to come in. It says, I don't even know how to just the basic steps of just moving forward to lead these people. I don't even know how to do it. And God loves that prayer. It's a humble prayer. It's one of acknowledgement that in ourselves we have no capacity to lead or to shepherd or to guide or to instruct God's people apart from God. It says, God, you are the one who is wise and I am not. God, you are the one who is infinite and has all the resources and I am not. You are the God who has power and I have no power. That's what he says. You are God, I am not. That one we got to get right. Right? We get that right. A lot of our lives come in order. But uh, notice this in prayer. It says when we pray, that means all the resources go one way. All the resources are God's And he gives them to us. He doesn't need anything from us. Nothing. We don't have anything to add to him or give to him. We sing his glory, but he's already fully glorified. (laughs) He doesn't need us to glorify him anymore. But he invites us to. And we get to. We're blessed by it. But I want you to see that prayer is, is this acknowledgement. It's the right attitude that... God, you have every resource and I have absolutely nothing. And so I'm calling for resources to come and help me do the things you're calling me to do. That's what prayer is. God, I don't tell you anything. You know everything. I know nothing. The more I grow, the older I get, the more I realize this is so very true. You know, as, as the older we get, the more we realize how little we really do know, right? Mark Twain said it this way. <clears throat> when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, 
I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> See, it's us that needs to grow up. <laughs> it's us that needs to learn. God knows everything, and we don't. Right? And the older we get, more we realize that there are just vast areas of knowledge that, I, that we, we realize we just don't even, can't even crack, scratch the surface. You know, Pastor Robert and I have been preaching for decades now between the two of us, and... Uh, we have this ambition of preaching through the whole Bible in 15 years together, and, and yet we know that even as we preach, we are just scratching the surface of what there is here. Right? We'll have preached our whole lives through and said very little in terms of what, the whole of what's there. Right? We also know that the, the, the most basic things of life, just to love people well, we know so little, right? I counsel people and I come alongside people and I'm amazed at the complexities of every human being, of every personality, seven billion strong, all so unique, all with such unique challenges, complexities that only God can think of and imagine and create that are just vast. I know nothing to help people. And so Solomon's very mature response, and this is a mature response, this is a sign of maturity, is I am like a little child. I know very little. God, if I don't have you, I'm in big, big trouble. Even the most basic things of how to love others, we need help from God to do. What's the most basic command of Scripture? What does he tell us to do most basically? One, if you just pick one command in the scripture, I'm going to do this one thing well. What is the one command he asks us to do? Love one another. Are you good at that yet? You got that? Anybody in this room got that one down? Even halfway? One command is all I'm giving you. That's a lifetime, right? I, I get up out of bed, I walk into that kitchen, here's this beautiful woman I married 35 years later, and I say, God, please help me. Love her well today. Every day. Help me love her. I'm, right? And she's really lovable. Most of the time. Right? <laughs> she's not here right now. So. <laughs> and I walk into the workplace and I walk down that hall and we have ten of us that are employed here. And... We, we say to each other all the time, our number one task is to love each other well. And yet, we try hard, and sometimes and frequently we don't do it well. Because God, we need your help. God, help us just to, just to just love one another. Most basic thing you ask us to do, help us. So, like Solomon, at even the most basic level, I need to say I'm but a child. I need your help, God. Now, it's interesting in this verse, in verse 8 actually, now he, he talks about how he's been called to lead Israel, this great people, right? which is really the fulfillment of the promises of God to the nation of Israel that they would be so numerous that the sands of the seashore um, <clears throat> would be similar to their size. And, and so here, here's the promise of God fulfilled and now he's called to lead this people. And so I want us to see that just because God asks us to be humble in our need of Him, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't step out and do great things for Him. All right? We're not talking about scaling back our lives here. 
We're just saying we don't have the capacities to do it well. But we should live aggressively and we should live in a way and do things, step out to do great things for God that are of such a nature that we say to God, unless you help me, I can't do this. Okay? There's Solomon and he's stepping out to lead. He's following God. He's obeying Him. This great task that God's given him is too big for him. And this is good for us. We need to, we need to live in such a way and live in aggressive and risk-taking ways for God that we know unless God comes through, we're in trouble. That's the way, to, by the way, to live for Jesus. You've got God on your side. You ought to take some big risks in serving Him. This is calling us to do. This is, to me, one of the real dangers of our culture, particularly to young men. I've raised two boys. I've, I mentor young men. And we've created this culture where young men are drawn to video games. Now look, there's nothing wrong with a video game in itself. I mean, I've played a few. I've beaten my kids a time or two and said, that's good for the rest of our life. That counts. I beat you once, I'm done. And so... (laughs) But look at This is where they live out their masculinity. But there's no risk. No cost for losing. Not much for winning. And they don't need God playing a video game. Right? That's what our culture does to us. It tries to scoot us into simple little places that don't cost us anything, they don't risk anything, that are easy. We don't need God there. Okay? And so God is calling us out to live for Him in, in great ways, to, to serve the King, to do His kingly purposes of witnessing for him, of, of loving him, of serving him, of making him known, of doing things that are hard and difficult that we have to call out to him and have his grace so we don't make it. That's what he's calling us to. That's the way to live. I, I, I often, uh, on Saturday, get a text from Brian Katherman, who's our church planner, who's out in Rose Park preaching this morning. And uh, if you want a challenge for the gospel, go to Rose Park, right? And, and he always texts me. In fact, Guess what person texts me more with prayer requests than anybody in my life? And why is that, right? It's Brian. Because he's out there in a place, if he doesn't have God, he's done. <laughs> right? That's probably true here. We just look maybe cleaner and neater in some ways, right? Look more put together maybe, right? We're no better, we're no different. And he says regularly to me, Kevin, I live every day in utter desperation that if God doesn't come through, I am through. Okay? That's living, right? That's living. Now, a bunch of us went out to Sugar House yesterday and, uh, and we brought door hangers just to welcome people, invite people to our church. And also they have the gospel on them. And we hung them on doors, probably 3,000 of them in Sugar House yesterday between all of us. And, and uh, you know, as we hung each door hanger, we just prayed a prayer, God, please, God, give grace to this home that they'll read the message and respond to the gospel and come to church and find Jesus and walk with them, right? But that, and that, that's, you know what, that took a little bit of courage, right, just a little bit. Not difficult, really, but... but I can tell you, my heart was beating out of my chest a little bit as I was hanging door hangers, right? Who am I going to meet next? And that dog that bashed up against the clear glass window, I thought he was going to eat me alive. It's like, 
and then to go to Sugarhouse Park and to begin to engage people in conversations. These are not easy things to do. They're not difficult. I think anybody really can do them, though that's probably not the primary way we're going to reach out to people. Most of the time we'll pre- reach out through friendships and people we love and care about and know. But, but the point is, when you live for Jesus and you take the risk of talking to them about Jesus, I don't care if it's a friend or someone you've never met, there's a risk and you need God. You're praying. God, please help me. Right? That's the way we're to live. Out in the risk zone there. So that, God, if you don't help me, I don't make it. One of my great mentors in my 20s, before he'd get up to preach, and I love this man, I was a layperson at the time, and he prayed before he'd preach every time. He goes, God, my only hope is you. My only hope is you. My only hope is you. Come through for me, God, please come through for me. Whatever we're called to do, we're called to live in a way that if we don't have God, we aren't going to make it. By the way, the converse is also true. If, if you don't take the risk of really serving Christ faithfully and fully and take the chances of serving him in, in bold ways, you won't need him and your life will be dull. And when your life is dull, you'll give your life to sin. That's what you'll do. Because we've got to have something. And if it isn't God, it'll be something else. See? the right attitude. Okay, finally, the right request. The right request is in verse 9. <clears throat> I love this verse. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? When you see this request here, it says... Solomon asks for an understanding mind, wisdom to govern the people, and then an ability to distinguish between good and evil, what is right and what is wrong as he leads them. That's what he asks for. And God liked this prayer. He commends this prayer. In fact, he goes on and says a little bit about his answer in verses 10 to 14. We won't take the time to spend there this morning, but, but he says, that was a great prayer. Solomon, I, I'm going to answer it, <laughs> and then I'm going to answer a bunch of things you could have prayed, but you didn't. Right? We're familiar with this. I'm going I'm to give you other things that you might have asked for, things that other people might have asked for, like great riches, like long life, like a complete defeat of your enemies and all the people that sort of stand in your way from accomplishing the things you want to accomplish, right? You could have prayed all those things. You didn't pray those things. You asked for wisdom and a, and a discernment for, from good and evil. But I'm going to give you that, and then I'm going to give you all the other things that maybe you might have asked for. <laughs> now, I want us to see here. It isn't wrong per se, really isn't. In fact, we should do this. It's not wrong to ask for prosperity. I pray for that for our country, for our people all the time. It's not wrong to ask for health. I pray for health for our people all the time. It's not, pray, it's not wrong to pray that people will live longer than it looks like they might. I, I, I pray that all. Those are good prayers. But those are not God's primary concern. They aren't. 
There's things to give to him. Philippians 4 tells us to pray about every little thing. But what God most cares about is who we are as people on the inside, the kind of people we are. That we are people who live wisely in the truth of the scriptures and walk in obedience to him, knowing what's right and knowing what's wrong and walking as godly people in him. That's what he's most concerned about. That's what he wants us to most pray about. This is the prayer he answers. And in fact, often he says no to the other things so that we might gain in these things. See, he sometimes gives us a lack of prosperity. He sometimes gives us poor health that we might grow in our discernment and understanding of him, right? I cry out to Jesus a lot when I'm sick and over that toilet, right? Sorry, but it's like, oh, Jesus, help me get through this. I feel like I'm going to die. But in our sickness, we call out to him. See? Furthermore, he says he even, I love this, didn't pray for the defeat of his enemies. Right? Again, not a bad request. But there's all kinds of things we come against every day in our lives, isn't there? All kinds of things that get in our way, that just annoy us, that just bother us. God, get them out of the way. Right? Those people. Right? Sometimes they're in your family. Right? (laughs) Those circumstances, those temptations that keep coming back over and over again, that are our enemies, right? And we want them gone, right? I mean, if I could get rid of all the temptations that I have in my life for the rest of my life right now and just flip a switch and do it, I would do it in one half a second. I want those enemies gone. I don't like them. I don't enjoy them. Frankly, I wish they weren't around. And yet when I ask God to take those away, what does he say? Oh, this frustrates me about him. He leaves them there, right? And why does he do this? Judges 3.1 says this, that God left the enemies in the land. This is speaking to Israel. God left the enemies in the land to teach them how to fight. How about that, right? How to grow in character. How to discern between good and evil. How to beat evil. Leaves them around till we learn how to beat them. <laughs> That's our good God. Because he cares more about our character than he does about our life being easy. Right. I'm going to have the ushers, I'm going to have the band come on up. So, I love this prayer. And I love this prayer particularly because it's such a moment-by-moment, daily, minute-by-minute prayer. Every minute of every day, we can call out to God for wisdom and strength and discernment to grow us, to grow our character, to help me love well, to help me know what to do and what not to do at any given juncture in the day. It's a daily prayer of intimacy with God that we would be transformed by his grace, by his word, and to love him and to walk with him in and through all of life. And I often say it this way, it's not so much the decision you're going to make at the end, but the process that you make and come through in order to make it. Walk intimately with God, know him, study his words, seek him. And when you do that, you will make 
far more likely the best decisions of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace of Christ. Thank you that we can know you. We're invited into a relationship with you. Teach us, God, as we sing now, to trust and obey.